fundamentals, like the guy who was the dean of a college, he addressed the students with some fundamental rules on the first day of school. He says, okay, first things first, the female dormitory will be out of bounds for all male students and the male dormitory to the female students. Anybody caught breaking this rule will be fined $20. That's for the first time. After that, it triples. If you're caught a second time, you will be fined $60. Being caught a third time will cost $180. Are there any questions? One student in the back raised his hand and said, how much for a season pass? (laughs) Fundamentals. Well, as I said, today we're concluding our series called The Game of Life. This series has been about how we can manage various aspects of our lives, like our health, our relationships, finances, our careers. However, none of these things work very well without one fundamental rule. The key is to put Christ right at the center of our lives, the center of everything. Depending on him for every detail is how we have to live our lives. This can best be summed up by Paul's words when he said, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if I live, I have Jesus. If I die, I have Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When we mismanage major areas of our lives, there are consequences to pay. Mismanaging money creates the stress of debt. Mismanaging uh, relationships. It can wreck marriages, friendships. If we mismanage our career, it can result in spending years of our lives unfulfilled, unproductive, and unhappy. Now, these are all bad enough, but if we mismanage our soul, huge consequences. They're unthinkable eternal consequences. So today we're going to to examine four spiritual disciplines that we can do to improve the game of life. Just four of them. There's more, but these are very important ones. In order to win, any team needs to stick to the fundamentals. Like a basketball team. If the players aren't committed to doing the, the dribbling, passing, rebound, Fundamental things like that, making shots over and over and over again. They're not going to win games. Just doesn't work without those. No matter how great or, or notorious the player is, he will never outgrow the fundamentals of the game. She will always need to practice the fundamentals. It's the same way with the spiritual life. There are certain fundamentals that we never outgrow. And managing the spiritual life is the same for you and me as it is for Billy Graham and the Pope. It's just the same all the way around, the fundamentals. So let's take a look at these four fundamentals. The first one, the spiritual fundamental, is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is really simple. It's just talking to God. But it's an indispensable aspect of the Christian life. In fact, the process of becoming a Christian started with a prayer. Some of you remember a prayer like, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. 
Come into my heart. Come into my life and, and lead me and forgive me. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Also, praying is an incredible privilege. Have you ever thought about the privilege? We can talk to the creator of the universe anytime about anything. Does that not blow you away? It does me. Anytime we want to. And he promises to listen. Not only does he promise to listen, he promises to answer. I don't know what that answer is going to be. Sometimes it's not what we're expecting. But he promises to listen and answer. The creator of the universe. What a privilege. The Bible tells us about some praying habits of Jesus. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He didn't get up, put on his sweats, and get his cup of coffee, and go to the little cute table with the Bible on it and the glasses. He got dressed. He went out somewhere. He, he made this effort to make it a special time. Now, you don't have to do that to make it a special time, but just shows the the intensity of Jesus. Jesus, it says, withdrew to lonely places. It says often he did this. I wonder what often really means in the Bible. Once a day? Mm, I think it's more. Since we all believe in prayer, it's hard to imagine any of us would go a day without praying. But I'm willing to guess that all of us, one time or another, have gone a whole day without saying anything to Jesus. It's amazing that we would do that. Think about the implication here. God is always with us. He says he'll never leave us, never forsake us. He says he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. So think about that. If we would go without praying, it's like ignoring someone who's right there with us. Just ignoring them all day long or for hours. Hmm. Now, even though it's important for believers to establish a habit of consistent prayer, that's when we set that time aside, even though that's good, it's equally important to do what Brother Lawrence calls practicing his presence. He's always with us. Practice his presence. Act like he's with you all the time, because guess what? He is. You know, we always say, we hope you sense the presence of Jesus Christ in our church service, and well, he's here whether we notice him or not. He's everywhere. We need to keep God in the front of our thoughts throughout the day. There's a story about the three farmers who were talking about prayer. And the first guy said, the best way I think to pray is in church with your head bowed. The second guy said, well, I think the best way to pray is in the outdoors, you know, with your hands uplifted to heaven, sing, uh, praying to God. The third guy says, well, I know one thing. The best praying I ever did was hanging from my feet halfway down a well shaft. <laughs> That's some serious praying there. That farmer understood the key to effective praying. You know what it is? The key to effective praying, dependency, being dependent on God. When we make prayer a priority, we're saying, God, I'm depending on you. Now, people will say to me or to you, that's a crutch. 
all that Jesus stuff, that's just a crutch. So? <laughs> yeah. So if that's what you want to call it, the way I look at it, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, he's got a little bit on me. So for me to rely on him, not such a bad thing, right? Okay, so that's the first one, prayer. I should hear a couple of amens there. Amen. amen. Oh, very good. You did better in the last service. Excellent. Second spiritual fundamental, reading the Bible. I told you they were fundamentals. Reading the Bible. Psalm 37. King David is talking about a righteous person, a holy person, someone in right standing with God. And he says, the law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. There's a connection here between Bible reading and holiness. Between Bible reading and walking with God the right way. If you read with an open heart and an open mind, the word of God comes alive. It just does. And it speaks to you. It comforts you when you're down. It challenges you to love God and love others. It reminds you to pray. It exhorts you to walk uprightly. Reading the Bible helps us remain dependent upon God. It keeps us from going off course. Oh, how we can get off course. Spiritual tangents. We get off. The basic rule to remember is that when you read Scripture, God is going to speak to you about you. About you. You know how it goes. Oh, man. So-and-so should have been here for this sermon. They should have heard that song I heard. Oh, it's, it's all about them. Maybe it's about me. More than a thousand years ago, a church leader wrote these words of advice. When reading the Holy Scriptures, he who is humble and engaged in spiritual work will apply everything to himself and not to someone else. The Bible is very personal when we read it. Joshua said, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. That's not a legalistic thing. We can be careful to do everything in it if it's in us. And Jesus is really the one in us doing it for us. We can't claim any credit for that. It says, then you'll be prosperous and successful. King David also says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet. It's a light for my path. So just as there's a connection between Bible reading and holiness, there's a connection between Bible reading and success a successful game of life. The Bible speaks to you about you when you open it and ask God to speak to you. Lord, speak to me. Have you ever done that? When you open up your Bible to read it, do you ever say a little prayer? Holy Spirit, would you just talk to me? Let the, page, let the words on the page jump off at me. Sometimes it happens with a voice. People say they've heard an audible voice before. Sometimes it's just a a sense that he's speaking to you in your heart. Sometimes you read something and throughout the day somebody talks to you about the same thing and you just know, wow, God's speaking to me. This is the way to get guidance, 
to get protection, reading the Bible. Now, here's an, an excuse on this one a lot of people use. Oh, I just don't understand that book. It's just too hard for me to understand. Most, of, not every time, but most of the time, the people saying this, don't read the Bible. How do they know they don't understand it? It's like a kid saying, I don't like broccoli, and he's never tried it before. What do you mean you don't understand it if you're not reading it? Let, let, me, let me try you. See if you can understand this. Honor your mother and father. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> How about this one? The love of the Lord endures forever and ever. Now, maybe you don't understand the depth of that, but you certainly get it. He loves us. Okay, so read your Bible. Don't give me that excuse. Well, I don't understand it. Read the thing. Okay, I'm meddling with you now. <laughs> okay. Okay, third spiritual uh, fundamental. Church participation. Notice I didn't say church attendance. I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and my mom was real big on the attendance thing. You know, in the Episcopal Church, I don't know if they do this anymore, but you get a pin for your first year in Sunday school, I guess it was. Next year, you get a wreath around that, and then they start with the bars. You know, we had these bars dangling from us, you know, aren't we cool? We attend church. Uh-uh. I lived a couple of years in Nashville, Tennessee. Talk about a smorgasbord of churches. They're everywhere. Well, during that time, it was early on when I finally committed my life to Christ. It was early on, and um, I didn't really belong to any particular church. I just went to a lot of them. I kind of shopped around like I was looking for my favorite restaurant. Well, I evaluated these churches in terms of their music. I was living in Nashville because of the music industry. So I listened to the music, I was evaluating them on their atmosphere, the preaching, and of course, what was in it for me? What could I get out of this? Are they going to feed me? You know that saying. In retrospect, I can see that this was not a very productive time in my life, spiritually speaking. I wasn't growing, instead I was becoming self-righteous, critical, you know, everything was about critiquing this church. The reason for this was that there were some crucial elements missing from my spiritual life, elements that can only be found when you commit to a church, a local body of believers. First, I wasn't serving God. I wasn't involved in any Christian activity, Christian service. I was just going from building to building, wanting to be entertained. Secondly, I wasn't a, accountable to anyone. You know, nobody could speak into my life. I just had acquaintances. I didn't get to know anybody that well. So no one could challenge me to move forward in my Christian walk. Thirdly, I wasn't being pastored. I was a sheep without a shepherd. You know, I heard some great sermons but I hadn't submitted myself to the leadership of a pastor or of a church. I was independent. Me and Jesus, man, we had our thing going. Nobody was going to tell me what to do. Well, as a result of that time, 
two-year period that was, I made some big boo-boos, just tons of stupid mistakes. You know what got me back on track? Moved back to Tampa. It wasn't because I moved back to Tampa, but it happened that I joined a church. I got really committed. It wasn't a perfect church. The pastor wasn't perfect, but he loved God and he loved the people. And as a family of believers, a family of believers, we were committed to becoming more like Jesus in our daily lives with each other. What we were doing is what I called real life with a real God. That's funny, it ended up on this thing. Real life with a real God. We weren't, we didn't want to play church. We wanted this thing to be real. We didn't want God to be some distant person way away from us and never felt close. We wanted him to be real. So I got committed to this church. And by the way, I had a lot to offer this church. Wow, I had so much to offer them. I gave these people an opportunity to practice patience. I was a tough nut to crack. Even though I was a believer, I brought a lot of junk in me. In, in with me to the to the Christian life. I challenge these people to pray. I help them with that because my life outside the church was a little wishy-washy, so they prayed for me. I also tested their ability to forgive because I let them down. I let a lot of those people down. I kind of joke around about that, but during that time, I developed some strong friendships and they remain strong to this day they were committed to me I was committed to them they helped me through that immature rebellious time of my life and to this day some of us call and help each other it's awesome it's awesome the Bible says people learn from one another just as iron sharpens iron this is what being committed to a church can do for you. It keeps you accountable. It enables you to remain dependent on God for his leadership in this game of life. So, let me meddle a little bit more. We're glad you're here, but if you're just warming a chair, maybe you ought to think about stepping it up a notch. Because God does things in your life when you serve. When you get involved somewhere, maybe you don't even know where to get involved. Call the church office. Talk to somebody here. You can tell people are serving. Talk to some of these band members. Step it up a notch. Serve in the church. God will do awesome things. It's really just a fundamental thing. Get involved. Participate. All right. You feeling guilty yet? Sorry about that. Fourth spiritual fundamental rule, show your faith. Show your faith. Some people refer to this as witnessing or sharing your faith. Whenever I talk about this, I think about two examples. One is a guy named Bill and one is me. This guy, Bill, he was a true zealot for God. I mean, his idea of sharing his faith was confronting pagans with their own wretchedness. <laughs> uh, that's the way he did it. One day we were talking and I said, so what's up? He said, I preached last week. He goes, I said, really? 
what church did you preach in? He goes, I didn't preach at a church. I preached at the mall. So I said, well, wow, how did that go? How did it even happen? He said, well, I was driving down the street, and God told me to go to the mall and preach. So I went. It was 1 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, he said, and it was packed. And he jumped up on a bench and said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and you people don't even care. He, he said a few more things, and then he said God told him to split. <laughs> I said, did God tell you that before or after the cops showed up? You know, I thought this couldn't be the way it works. It just couldn't work this way. So my second example was what I did after that. I, I thought, well, I'm going to study this thing a little bit. So I read a little bit on the subject of evangelism. I learned which questions I should ask. I learned a presentation, word for word. I had it down. I learned how to deal with their objections. And I learned how to close the deal. I even learned how to plow forward in the presentation, no matter how bored or freaked out the person was. I just kept going. It wasn't long before I realized I was just memorizing a sales pitch. If you took the name Jesus out of my presentation and put in Ford F-150, I would have been selling trucks. Same presentation. I knew there had to be a better way. See, many Christians are afraid of those two examples. They're afraid to show their faith because they feel like you have to do it one of those two ways. But witnessing is not yelling a message or selling a message. Witnessing is about communication. It's not confrontation. It's just simple communication. Sharing your faith is really a matter of showing your faith. Now, there may be times where you maybe talk to a stranger on an airplane maybe or a conference you go to. But most of the time, and I think the best way, is when you show your faith to the people that are around you on a regular basis. Friends, family, neighbors, co-workers. When you tell them about the difference Christ has made in your life, when you tell those people, people that are regularly around you, they can see whether or not you're telling the truth. Ooh. <laughs> They're the ones to know. See, if your neighbor sees you kicking the dog all the time or if your co-worker seeing you shucking your responsibilities, your message isn't going to have much impact. However, Christianity becomes irresistible when people see it at work in your life. Doesn't have to be quoting Bible verses. Just let them see your life. In the ninth chapter of John, Jesus healed a blind man. Guy was blind from birth. He healed him. Later, this blind man, now who can see, was questioned by the authorities, by the Pharisees. You know, they were going to catch Jesus in a religious technicality. Oh, he did this on the Sabbath. How could he? You know what happened? They're, they're grilling this man. Why this? How did he do that? Why did he do this? And he goes, 
guys, I just know one thing. I used to be blind, and now I can see. Duh. Uh, what's the deal with the grilling? Don't you see what happened? I can see it literally. Witnessing is a matter of telling others what Christ has done for you and showing it in the way you live. It wasn't very hard for that guy to show it, was it? There may be more subtle ways we do it, but it's still the same thing. And all that requires that we depend on God for the strength. Strength to be consistent in the way we walk each day. Strength to say the right thing at the right time and zip it at the right time also. Now here's another little beef I have after this one. People will say, my religion is private. Well, your religion's not Christianity then. There's no such thing as private Christianity. It, there can't possibly be. You know why? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Christianity, Christ, he, on his deathbed, so to speak, gave us a commission. He said, I want you to go make disciples. Make people follow me by teaching them everything I teach you. Immerse them in the Holy Spirit, in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Immerse them. How can you do that privately? Now, maybe you can in your own home with one person, but it's not private anymore. There's another person there. So that, that's a beef of mine, all these things. You don't read the Bible because you don't understand it? Pfft. You don't witness because your religion is private? Pfft. Okay? These are fundamental things. These are things that you are not going to have as many wins in the game of life if you leave out these fundamentals. Prayer, Bible reading, Bible study, church participation, and faith showing. Most of you already knew this. This is one of those sermons where I'm praying, oh God, help this to be good. They've heard this a million times. But the reason these things are so important is because it, the Christian walk, it, we have to do well at these things. We don't have to be perfect. We can blow it. When we show our faith to somebody, we're going to blow it sometimes. But be honest and tell them, you know, I blew it. I shouldn't have done that. At the beginning of the message, I mentioned that a basketball team who wants to win practices the fundamentals all the time in the same way. Doing the fundamentals of the Christian life leads to an effective life, wins in the game of life. But it's got to be all dependent on God. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own opinions, our own ideas. It has to be from God. Now, I could have started this whole series with this message. It kind of makes sense. You start with the fundamentals. But I did it to make a point. I put it at the end to make a point. The point is, we always need to go back to the basics. No matter what we talk about, no matter what we do, we've always got to move ourselves back to the basics. Because with all areas in the game of life, we need to put first things first. And we get off so easily. We've got to 
discipline ourselves to go back to these things. Because this is the kind of life that gives us joy and gives God glory. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for today, what you've done here. Lord, we thank you for the, the great energy that, that your gifted musicians put forth and allowed us to come to your throne room. And Lord, I, I'm reminded every time we do this, every time we get together here on Sunday morning, that you inhabit the praises of your people. So we thank you for being here with us, God. We're practicing your presence. And God, I ask that you would help us to never, ever see these fundamental things as unnecessary or boring or something that we've got a complete handle on. Help us to treat them like valuable jewels that we need to look at over and over again to appreciate. Help us to practice them over and over again and build up our spiritual muscle. And God, I pray that you would show us how you're speaking to us through all of this so that we can bring you glory in this great game of life, this abundant life you've given us. And we pray that in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand and sing with us one last time, Cornerstone.